When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now. Hello, friends. Happy Hump Day, everybody. Indeed. Wednesday, the 14th of June, and we got a lot to cover in this edition of After 9. Meta has now officially, Kat, started blocking news on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. We've talked about this before, and if you want, just do a quick search. It might even have been earlier this month. I don't understand what the problem here is. So traditional media, that'd be your your CTVs and your Globals and your Toronto Star and your Globe and Mails and all the traditional news services. They get a lot of hits because people read the story and share the article on social media. So the government came in with this great idea that since people are sharing that news content on social media, the social media companies should pay traditional media for posting the links and using that content on their site. But of course, I don't think they understand how the internet works. It's a link. It's not the actual social media platform hosting the traditional broadcaster's news. So now you've got the publishers, the traditional news sources, that are supposed to get paid when Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or whatever shares their content. But they never asked for it. And and the, the social media companies are like, This is fucking crazy. We're not hosting anything. People posted a link. They're allowed to post links on social media. It has nothing to do with us. But the government still wants them to pay. So now the traditional media is stepping back and saying, hold on a second here. Sure, we'd love extra money, but we don't want to lose the links. The links is what makes us the money from ads. So now we've got this whole... Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man situation here where Meta's just plain not going to show the news to people on their feeds, which is a big problem because there's a lot going on. And traditional broadcasters are like, no, 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 no. Still allow the links, allow the links because we want that ad revenue. And the government's saying, well, somebody's got to pay. And nobody's asking for any money to exchange hands. Is there any common sense that's going to prevail here, Kat? I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what the answer is to it because, I don't know, part of me understands why they are doing what they're doing, but then the other part thinks it makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I think that I hope at this point in this stage of the game, we all hope that people know where they should be getting their news from and what an actual good news source is. And why there are certain things being blocked. I don't understand it. Why there's other things. I get it. It's a weird thing, right? See, and that's an interesting point you just brought up. Because I'm a little conflicted on it. And I think that's one of the topics that I'm evolving on. During the pandemic, there was such a push, right? Only trusted sources. Only reliable news sources. And then we saw a lot of reliable news sources really pushing stuff that turned out to not be true. And along the way, people were saying, that's not true. What you're saying is not accurate. And they were proven right. What was being reported wasn't accurate by these reliable news sources. And I'm talking mainly about COVID. We all remember during COVID, all the stories that came up. Oh, God, no, you can't transmit the virus once you've had the shot. Get the shot, protect yourself and others, blah, 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 blah. 
Well, of course, that turned out to be not true. So who is really the reliable news sources? The ones who had it right all along and they tried to shut them down or the ones who reported shit that ended up being wrong? Who are the ones who get all the credit? Yeah, I mean, everything should be based on fact. We know that. It should. But sometimes things run that aren't necessarily based on fact. They are based on opinion. So how do you decipher that and really make sure that you filter out fact from opinion or maybe uh, exaggerated fact, if that if that makes sense to you? I actually have a thought on that, and I've thought for a while that this would work. I don't understand why, if I'm watching, I'll just use the CBC, for example. If I'm watching the CBC and they're doing their Thursday night at issue segment where they bring in a couple of journalists to discuss the news stories of the day, and, and oftentimes... It's very, very, very left-leaning. It's very supportive of the current regime. And, and it's weird to me that they present that during a newscast and they don't go out of their way to specify that this is an opinion piece, not actual confirmed hard facts news. And, and I thought it's so easy. I mean, television has got graphics everywhere. It'll say we're live, we're, we're on Cisco WebEx and, and all the other stuff that you see overlaid on the screen. It would be nothing for them to put up, not news, opinion. Or when they're delivering news that they expected to be taken seriously, then they should specify this is news. In the same way that they have to specify if it's live or taped, they should also specify this is a right. news segment or this is an opinion piece. Right, right. And, th and then something just kind of comes over top of that saying that like, hey, um, we have yet to confirm if this is uh, accurate. Like, I don't even know uh, if that's I, I, I don't know what the real answer what it should be. But again, I hope that at this stage in the game. We all know where we should be getting our info from, but it is hard to say because some people thought they could trust certain sources and then things went awry. And yeah. then they were we found out they were a little too, they were leaning one way or another and we didn't know. So it's, I don't know, it's difficult. Well, part of the misinformation seems to be coming right from the leaders themselves. Let's go back to yesterday. It was, uh, actually, you know what? Let's go back a little further than yesterday. You'll recall last week, we all found out that Canada's most prolific serial killer and rapist, Paul Bernardo, got upgraded to medium security prison. He was in maximum security. They gave him a, a, a break of some sort and put him in medium security. And the public safety minister, Marco Mendicino, he came out and, and he was outraged by this decision. The decision to transfer Paul Bernardo from a maximum security institution to a medium security institution is both shocking and incomprehensible. Okay, well, it came out yesterday that he did know. He knew three weeks before it happened. <gasps> lie, 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 lie. And this is another case of a staffer didn't tell the minister. That's what they say. And, and that's been going on with everything from election interference to Paul Bernardo and more. The staff knew, but nobody told the minister. And I'm really having a hard time believing that this kind of critical information is not being told to the person in charge. Now, we don't want the public safety minister to make a decision on this. He can't interfere and, and we can't have the government saying, you know what? You go to maximum security, you get to go to medium. It doesn't work like that. We have jail officials that will make those decisions. But this is his file. He should know. So now people are wondering, are you fucking with us? Are you lying? Were you feigning outrage, but you actually knew all along? Or did your staff really not tell anybody? Well, and I think, by the way, uh, okay, it's not okay if he lied, like straight up and claimed he just found out. But I think it's okay to feel two ways about it. We know what the laws are. 
when you're in prison, right? There are certain things, and we talked about this. If you want to go back to the podcast, in case you missed it, we explained exactly what happens to get you from maximum security to a medium security, okay? Because there's there's a bunch of things, that basically things that you have had to have done, including like five years violent free, et cetera, et cetera. There's like a list. And once you obtain check marks basically down that list, then you have the ability to. He might know that information. Like, I know Paul Bernardo technically qualifies. Is he a piece of shit? Yeah. Are there a lot of pieces of shit in that maximum security prison? Yes. Most of them. That are moved to medium? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does this just happen to be a high profile situation and that's why everyone's so outraged? Yes. But there's a lot of pieces of shit that have moved from maximum to medium, just so everybody is aware. Can we not all- Baby killers. I mean, you fucking name it. Okay. So he's a piece of shit. We all know that. You can feel two ways about it. You can, like, because that's kind of where I'm at. I understand that this is the system we have. Can I be outraged that this is the system we have? Yes. I don't like the thought of him getting anything. I'd like the death penalty in Canada for fuck's sakes. But I'm also aware that this is how it works. That's it. Can we not at least as a society agree that murderers, convicted first degree murderers, don't get to leave maximum security? If you took another person's life and you have to go to jail, we put you in jail to remove you from a civil society because you clearly can't participate without killing somebody. Can we agree that for whatever length of time you're in jail, it has to be in maximum security? And that would take all the ambiguity out of it. We just need a benchmark. If you've done this or worse, you're in maximum security. And I agree with you. There's a bunch of people, really shady, shitty people, that are probably in medium security, and the public would probably hate hearing that that particular person is in medium security. But it doesn't affect us on a day-to-day basis. When it comes to Paul Bernardo, that captured the nation's attention. It was a worldwide story. I think Canadians are traumatized, the ones who were alive back then, from that story. I remember I it vividly. It. I get it. I, I And that, you know, we everyone feels that attachment. You don't even need to have been around. Like, I rem- I don't remember it that much. I was quite young. But once I was old enough to understand what happened, I'm outraged. Now, again, as a parent, I'm outraged. We can be outraged for sure. I, I, I understand. There's emotional attachment to all, any of these stories, any of these tragedies that have to do with a guilty party. I get it. You want them to fry. You want them to burn. If that was your kid, you'd fucking kill them yourself, you'll say. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. All those things. I, I get it. I feel it, too. It's frustrating, though, when you feel all these feelings but what we have in place won't match those feelings. That's not the system we have. We don't have a punitive system. Have you noticed, though, that nothing that's actually getting done are things that people want addressed? I mean, we're having a huge national conversation right now about crime and punishment. Isn't this a great opportunity to, to open up the, the justice files and say, you know what? A lot of people seem to think that if you murder more than one person, you should probably be in maximum security with no moving to a medium security facility or even worse, getting moved to minimum security or protective custody. Okay, we can have that conversation. We should be able to have that conversation. Instead, we're trying to ram through news legislation to make Facebook pay CTV. <laughs> like, where is the disconnect with I our know. leaders here? Uh, I y- know. You know, even the conservatives, they're making a huge deal out of the election interference thing. And and good, it's an important story. But I think if you go down the street and ask people, what's the number one thing that's keeping you up at night? It's going to have everything to do with the economy. And I don't see any of our leaders 
coming out on TV saying, this is what we can do for people that have a variable rate mortgage, or this is what we can do for people whose mortgage is renewing in the next six months and interest rates remain high. Like nobody wants to tackle the stuff that actually matters right. to people. It's so obscure and out of the way. And it's so frustrating, Kat. Mm -hmm. It's like nobody is listening to the middle class. Yeah. Let's move on. I want to talk about a number of different things, like we said at the beginning. So we'll start in the restaurants. It's something that I think mainly gained traction during the pandemic. Remember when we were all going to get COVID and die if we touched a menu in a restaurant? <laughs> yeah. And, and so all yeah, the rest of them were dirty to be perfect. They still are. They still are dirty. They yeah. still are. And, and some restaurants said, okay, well then what we'll do is so people don't have to touch the menus, we'll switch over to a QR code on your phone right. and you scan it and you can see the menu. Yeah. A couple of years later now, would you say that people would like to keep the QR code system or would they like to go back to the menu? Back to the menu. Almost unanimously. Yeah. 71% of diners would like to see paper menus. Only one in 10 mm -hmm. said they prefer the QR mm -hmm. code and 15% were kind of indifferent. They don't really care either way. And, and I guess I'm part of the 15%. I don't really care. It's just there's certain things that it's easier to read on a menu. Yeah. Certain uh, descriptions of food are quite lengthy and they're available in multiple languages. That's not as easy to read on a phone. I don't mind the option of having both, by the way. And I'll give you an example. I went to a restaurant, um, I think it was like two weeks ago or so, and I'd never been there before. So instead of me as someone who's coming in, you know, off the street, essentially, like not sure if I even want to dine there, grabbing a menu from them, they said, yeah, you can scan the QR code, take a little look there. Oh, yeah, great. Like, sure, you could Google it. You could look online in advance. But if you're there anyway, you can snap it and that way you can save it later, whatever. So I like that option. But when I'm dining, when I'm sitting down, I want to be on my phone. If I'm across from someone, I'm there with them. I'm there with them for lunch or dinner or whatever it is. And I want to give them my full attention. I don't want to be on my phone. Whether I'm looking at a menu or not, I don't care. I try to avoid doing that. So for me, if I can look at a menu, it just seems less like I'm blocking that other person out and vice versa for them. Get off the phone. I I'm, I'm all about the menu. I'm good with it. And if it's a little dirty, we know now we're not going to die. We're going to live. It's going to be okay. I, uh, I think in particular about my dad. My dad has a hard time reading things on his phone because it's backlit and for whatever reason that affects his eyes sure. and his ability to focus. Some people do that, yeah. And he needs it in a font that's bigger than anything I would ever print. So uh, he would be one who would really excel with a paper menu. Whereas me, I can just open the QR code. But we were away last week. As you know, we were at my daughter's graduation and... <laughs> It's amazing how many restaurants were just using the QR code and I had to read him the menu because he just couldn't see it. Yeah. It's an accessibility issue for a lot of older people. It is. The restaurants alone are an accessibility, uh, an, an, an issue because sometimes their lights are so dim for some people they can't read the menu for that reason. That's right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of issues that people will have with those. I, I might recommend that if you're a restaurant who wants to go all in on the QR code and it's easy to update to, you don't have to reprint everything and then resort it and put it back into the folders and all that sort of shit. If you want to just do the QR code menu, that's fine. Maybe have a paper option available too, just Agreed. for the older people yeah. who, who just can't read those backlit phones in dim lighting to begin with. Yep. Uh, Canadian astronaut, Chris Hadfield, a Canadian hero. Cat. Oh, Hadfield. I didn't know this, but I guess he's pretty connected in the astronaut business. 
Is that what it would Astronaut be? Astronaut business. Okay, what do you mean? King Charles has apparently reached out to Chris Hadfield and asked him to help develop a draft on space sustainability. We all know about the Magna Carta. Now they've created or they're working on the Astra Carta. Hadfield says the king asked him to work on a plan that will explore how humans can use space and set settlements on the moon in a different way than we settled on Earth. He says the king reached out to him for help with the draft last summer. It's almost done. They're going to release it at the end of this month in June. Sorry, what does the king have? To, what the fuck does the king have to do with space? I think I'm he confused. thinks he's the king of everything. <laughs> does and he, he's not. Does he realize it's like there's a bubble where he's a king? Well, <laughs> well, the aliens are coming. So Chris Hadfield, come with me. I need you to teach me a couple of things. I do think this is an important first step. Somebody needs to take the reins and say, okay, listen, it's not just NASA and the Russians and the Chinese that are sending rockets and and satellites into space now it's true now tourists can go into space we're talking about going to the moon we're going to be there within two years from there we have a base on the moon that will allow us to easily get back and forth between mars well if we're going to start doing this there should be a general set of rules that the entire world plays by not that i think most of the world is going to listen to king charles but if somebody at least comes up with a draft puts it out there, then the rest of the world can read it. We can make discussions or make uh, suggestions and have a discussion and then eventually ratify it. And it just sort of becomes the rules of space. But right now it's the Wild West. It's the gold rush. It's whoever gets to the moon first gets to keep it. And that's bullshit. It's a little messed up. It's a little messed up right now. I'm glad I'm not involved in that. In the, in the moon space. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, you know, because it, it is, it's very competitive. And I feel like it's going to, because there's a lot of money there. There's a lot of money at stake in being one of the first. And that's why. Again, with the Charles thing, though, like, I don't know. It's kind of weird that it's Chris Hadfield and King Charles working together on this. Again, it wouldn't have been my first two guesses, but I'm glad somebody is going to try and take the lead on doing it. And, and when they say they want to settle the moon differently than we settled the earth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right now, we've got a whole shit ton of people living in a part of the world that's not particularly fertile, and then we have a whole bunch of people starving from famine because they're living in a bad spot. We have others that are taking up a lot of space that could be better used. I'm looking at Canada right now. Mm -hmm. 33 million people on the biggest country on Earth. Then you get countries that are half our size that have 10 times the population. If we just organized it from the start before anybody gets there, then there can be some rules. We've got to figure out If I want to buy a a condo on the moon, who's the actual owner of the moon? Who gets the land land development money? Nobody, no one's going to all agree. It's just going to be whoever has the most money and figures it out first, right? Pretty much. It's just, it's uh, First there can basically create the rules. It's fine though. Like I have no interest in being there, you know? I know you don't want to go. I I don't really either. I kind of want to see it, but I don't really want to. A virtual reality would probably be fine to see it. Yeah, throw some goggles on me. I'll check it out. I'll see your home in the metaverse or some shit like that. And then I'm out. The maker of Pyrex glassware, an instant pot, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy (gasps) protection. Oh, no. It comes as the company that was already struggling, is stung by inflation, and U.S. consumers pulling back on spending. Sales of the electronic multi-cooker device, instant pot, reached $758 million in 2020 at the start of the pandemic. 
Now it's down to half that, $344 million. Isn't that crazy that they want to file for bankruptcy and it's still like a decent amount of money they're making? Yeah. But I remember when it was all the rage and this is what happens, right? There's Get like an fads, there's a fads, there's fads in the kitchen. We all know this. And now it's all about the air fryer. So, and I know there's differences for sure, but if you feel like you can just use one contraption and you don't need many, you're not going out buying it. But I remember when everyone was buying it, you have to do it in the Instant Pot. Have you done the Instant Pot yet? And now it's, you got to get in the air fryer. We might be talking about this shit about the air fryer, by the way, in like five years. You just never know. But. Because they might come up with something different. <laughs> I just don't understand why they would think that was sustainable anyway. If I create a product, let's say, for example, Kat, I've created a, a brand new microphone that can make anybody sound like a professional radio DJ. Cool. There's a certain number of people who will want that, but they don't need more than one. I don't need more than one Instant Pot. If they sold that many of them in 2020, presumably no, they sold fine, almost no. that many in 2021, it might not be that people don't like the product. It might just be they've already got one. Like, at, at what point do you have too many? And this is where you have to be inventive and you think about, like, this is why you got to watch Shark Tank more. Because when you're a company that just sells that one thing, and by the way, you're boasting that it lasts a lifetime. Like basically these kinds of products are the ones that are like your lifetime or 25 years guaranteed or whatever it is. You know, people aren't coming back. So what other products are you putting out there to go along with it that people will come back for? And that's where you really generate the long-term revenue, right? Yes. You didn't think about that, did you, Instapop? Um... They've released a list of the wildest cities in America. And, and if you'd asked, well, I'll ask you, what do you think the craziest city in, in, in America is? The wildest one. Fuck. In, in, uh, Vegas is the first thing that comes to my mind. Vegas is exactly what I would have said, too. This new report on America's wildest, wildest cities was compiled using a lot of factors like alcohol and binge drinking, marijuana use, harder drugs like cocaine and so on. Oh, shit. Number of casinos, number of strip clubs. And in the end, the highest wild score went to Reno, Nevada. Oh, okay. Reno. But one of the reasons that this list came across our desk is because some of the wildest cities in America are the snowbird destinations, hmm. Florida mm -hmm. and Arizona. So the next time grandma and grandpa say, well, we're off to Florida for the winter. Don't feel bad for us. They're probably doing a record amount of cocaine record and amount. going to strip clubs. And <laughs> your grandparents are having a oh. fucking time down there. Nobody's surprised by Florida. <laughs> Nobody's surprised by Florida at all. Florida's a big place, by the way. And there's a lot of, sh there's a lot of really gross spots in Florida. Too. Absolutely. Like just filthy. So that doesn't surprise me too much. And Arizona? Did you say Arizona? Arizona. I would have thought that. No, I've never been to Arizona. It seems like a wholesome enough place. I guess I'm wrong. Apparently, like, they like to let loose down there. I did, I did not know this. I would have thought maybe Nashville would be in there somewhere. I feel like Nashville is all country music and, but it's good and times, right? basic girl bachelorettes. Right. Beer, honky tonks. That sort of shit. Not as much cocaine. Good to know. <laughs> Really good thread here on Reddit. We uh, mentioned this on our radio shows today. It's it's things that you do every single day that are perfectly normal and legal, but you still feel like you're doing something wrong yep. when you do it. Mm -hmm. It's a great it's a great thought starter here because you do you and like you said, some of these things you might do almost every day, at least once a week, maybe a couple times a week. 
And you don't realize that you're not the only one that feels a guilt. There's a lot of other people out there that feel guilt that don't need to be feeling guilty. Walking through a store and leaving without buying anything. Mm, mm. Doesn't it feel when that happens like somebody is just waiting for you to walk out the door so they can tackle you and think you're shoplifting? Like it's implausible that somebody came into a store and left without buying something. They must have stolen something. That's the way it feels. Like, all eyes are on you, and security's probably trying to get your mug shot. I went to Canadian Tire. Perfect example. A shitty Canadian Tire, though. Not one of the good ones. Not one of the big ones, you know, with, like, the smart centers and shit that are massive. It was a shitty little old Canadian Tire that definitely needs to be, like, torn down and rebuilt. So I went in there looking for something very specific, and they didn't have it. So I walked through the entrance and it had an exit, but you had to go through the checkout to get to the exit. I hate those places. Is, is that because they assume people are going to steal or or that they won't leave without buying something? Is that why they make you go through there? Because why can't I just go back out the door I came in? I, I didn't buy anything. Thank you. And they had like a bar over it. It's not even like I, there was no access to that door because they had a bar where you had to like walk through it. You couldn't walk the other way. And I wasn't going to climb over it. So not only did I feel guilty because I couldn't find what I was looking for, which isn't not a crime, I had to cut through a line of people. Excuse me, pardon me, come and I didn't buy anything. Excuse me. <laughs> I didn't get anything. I didn't. I, it was a mistake coming in here. And then passing by the cashier who also gave me a look like, I didn't take anything. <laughs> like, I had to do it like seven times. It was terrible, terrible. To the point where, Scott, I almost bought like an air freshener or some shit at the front because I was like, this is really awkward. Like, I have to do this. But then you'd already cut in line, so that would have been horrible. No, you yeah, I, <laughs> you'd see what I mean? It was terrible. I'm never going in that in that location again. It was it was brutal. But why do we feel bad when we go out of a st- when we leave a store without buying something? It is our right, you know, to to not buy things. That is true. We can we can take a look. We can peruse a menu somewhere and decide I don't want to eat here. We can look at a store and go I don't like any of these clothes. I mean, all those things are totally okay, but you still feel like a weird guilt. It happens at retail locations too, right? Like I'll go in looking for something specific uh, for clothes and I look around and I'm like, oh no, it doesn't really, you know, guys don't really have it. But the salespeople are on your butt, right? So they're right in front and like, hi, how are you? Greet you on the way in like, good, good. 20% off of clearance. Great, fine. And then you go and you're like, didn't find anything. And then you're like leaving like a minute later and then you feel that guilt. Like, sorry, I didn't buy anything. Same thing with restaurants. That's actually number two. You walk into a restaurant, you sit down, they bring you a menu, you look at the menu and think, ugh, nah, I don't want any of this, and leave. (laughs) You didn't do anything wrong. You have every right to not order something. However, you would feel like shit if you did that. You do. and, And funny enough, it circles back to our QR code conversation we just had, where that's when it's nice to have an option most most places have a website. But if you're the type of restaurant that doesn't have a website where you can look online, it's probably a good idea. Just, hey, why don't you just peruse this before I seat you and give you like water or something like that. And then you feel like a dick when you leave. I always look at a restaurant's menu before I Do go. You? I almost always know what I'm going to have before I even get there. The only wow. X factor in that is if they have some daily specials that aren't on the website. Otherwise, I always read the menu in advance. I can tell you, oh, fuck, I don't want to go there. I don't like anything on the menu. I go in blind all the time. Really? Like if my fr- yeah, I How just, do you handle I that ju- level of disorganization? I just, <laughs> no, I kind of like the surprise. I like looking at the menu and I like talking about the menu, I guess. I just went out with my girlfriends to, uh, to a spot that changes their menu all the time. They're like fresh Ontario grown everything, right? Like everything is from Ontario, from the menu. It's great. 
So they changed the menu quite often. I didn't look at it. I don't know. So I just went there and sat down. Sometimes I, I, I defer to the server. You tell me what to get. Really? Yeah, I'm that. Like, I don't care. I don't care. You tell me what to eat. I find that... Well, actually, do you trust the server's judgment? Like, if you say, what do you recommend? Do you think that they're actually telling you what's good, or do you think they're telling you what they've been told to push? Um, Hard to say. Usually, I'll give them between, like, two or three dishes, because then I'm really okay with it. If you really want to push that one because it's $2 more, go ahead. But if sometimes I find they're very honest with you. They'll tell you, like, you know what? I wouldn't go with that one. I've, I've had that before. The server's like, don't do that one. People are usually disappointed. Like, okay, thank Ooh, you. That's good they honesty there. Well, they don't have a share in the actual food company. They work there. They're okay with telling you that one's not as good as that one. So don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, if you get that kind of honesty from a server, I feel like they're a good server, and they probably deserve the tip that yeah. you're going to give them too. Uh, breaking up a bunch of bananas in the grocery store to get the exact number of bananas you want. If you went in for three bananas, but the bunch has six, you can break that in half. Yeah. But people feel like they're doing something wrong when they put the other three bananas back. Like, oh, I've ruined three bananas for the next person. That's funny. I don't have any guilt on that. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. Because my two, my kids are the only ones that have the bananas, and they're little, and they'll have like maybe two bananas each. I will break it off, no problem. A, a week, four. I will find a bundle of four, and if I can't, I'm breaking it off. Same with grapes. You don't have to buy that entire fucking bag of grapes. You know that, right? You take some pieces out, you put it in another bag, you take the bag you want. Simple as that. Or you grab an extra bag and then you put the grapes in it. Yeah, but then you're screwing over the next person if you put them in another bag because they're expecting, oh, it looks like about a pound or two. And then before you know it, they're paying $14 well, for a bag of grapes. Sounds like a them problem, not a me problem. <laughs> what can I tell you? Do you actually weigh your produce in a grocery store? I never do. I eyeball. I eyeball. You eyeball. I've started weighing it. Did you? Yeah. And you do the math right there on the spot. Like these apples look like they might be $4.30 yeah. total. Well, it says is 79 cents a pound. All right. Well, how many pounds is four apples? I couldn't tell you that off the top of my head, but I'd like to have a rough idea of how much I'm spending. Is that it? Is it a spending thing or is it like a quantity thing? Like for me, it's just a quantity. I'll buy two apples. I don't give a shit. I don't want to buy a bag of apples. No, thanks. I'll buy two of those. I'll buy a tiny bit of grapes because I don't like wasted food. So I will do everything I can to get the minimal amount of things. I will move shit around. If it says you're getting charged by the pound or the kilogram, I want to know exactly how many pounds or kilograms it is. I don't want to get up to the cash register and think, woo, that thing weighs like six pounds. Get out of here. No, it doesn't. I thought it was four. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've been bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> Again, these are things that are perfectly normal, perfectly legal, but you still feel bad when you're doing it. Almost like you're breaking the law. Making a cup of coffee inside, you put it in your favorite ceramic mug, and then you go walking around outside with your mug. <gasps> That's You've weird. taken a mug out of the house. Yeah, that is weird. It is weird. I'm going to tell you, I was, uh, it was, I think one of the last years my kids were trick-or-treating, and I remember making a drink. It was a hot toddy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I was, uh, I made it in just a regular mug. I didn't have a travel mug at the time. Walking down the street, carrying a ceramic mug feels weird. It's weird. It reminds me of being on a resort. Like I just automatically think of vacation. I have like an outside balcony area. I love having my coffee on there. I guess that's different because it's, but even there, it feels weird. But it makes me feel like you're on a resort because when you're on a resort, you don't give a shit. Or if you're in Vegas, I used to take glasses, <laughs> glasses around the street in Vegas all the time. 
Were you allowed to, to, or did you just do it? I did it. You know what? I, I crossed casinos. One, we were like kind of casino hopping the one night, and I took a glass from one casino, and then I ended up with it in another casino. And I confessed to it to the guy who was behind the counter at the other place when we were playing a game, a table game. I'm like, this is from Cosmo, <laughs> and I am not at Cosmo anymore. He's like, I don't give a shit. And I'm hammered. Yeah, he's like, I, I don't care. It's fine. They don't care. I'll, I'll do just one more from this list. Putting your phone in your pocket or pulling a phone out of your pocket when you're at the store or opening a backpack in a store. Oh, right. When your hands go in your pockets or if you open a backpack, you've done nothing wrong. Yeah. But eyes are on you. For sure. And it makes you feel like you've done something wrong. You walk into a a Walmart with a backpack on, instantly everyone thinks you're stealing shit. Yep. Instantly. And And maybe you are. And maybe you are. (laughs) Actually, there's a good chance if you're walking into Walmart with a backpack, you probably are stealing. Yes. But it's true, actually. And and even stuff in your pockets, if you use your pockets. Um, I don't feel as guilty if I have a small purse, but if some days I'll have a big purse, right? Like weekends usually are for my bigger purse because I have to hold more shit. And then if I'm like ruffling through that, I suppose I would feel a little weird about it. Yeah, I wouldn't want people to think I was stealing shit. And on that. Don't steal shit. You're probably stealing <laughs> shit. I think more. I think theft is probably at an all-time high right oh, it's, now. I think I'll it's bad too. Shoplifters at Walmart and the, uh, the department stores yeah. that sell everything. I'll bet you they don't know what to do with how much shit's getting taken right now. Well, and today when we were talking about this, somebody used the self-checkout as a good example of feeling guilty because... It is at an all-time high, and the people working the self-checkout area, you know, there's usually like one person, maybe two or three, depending on how big the self-checkout area is at those stores. They've got their eyes on you all the time because so many people try to steal at self-checkout. So even if you're an honest honest person, I'm here to buy these few products here, they're usually over your shoulder, so you automatically feel like you're doing something wrong. And then when you do scan something wrong, you're like, I didn't mean to steal it. (laughs) I didn't do anything. I brought my own bag. <laughs> like all those things, right? Drive right to the police station and turn yourself yeah. in. Fuck. I just want everyone to know. <laughs> I thought I had three mangoes, not four. Fuck. <laughs> I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. Finally, we are halfway to Father's Day. It is happening this Sunday. 38%, almost four in 10, feel dad is the hardest person in their life to buy things for. And it happens every year. What does dad want for Father's Day? The list is out, and number one is a classic with a twist. Dad wants to go out for food, but dad wants to pick the restaurant. Okay. So don't think, oh, I'm going to take dad out, and we're going to make brunch rezos at the mill, and we're going to go to bottomless mimosas. Chances are dad wants to go for a pound of wings at your local sports bar. I mean, dad wants to pick the restaurant this year. So oh. before you make a rezo, you might want to check with dad. Check with dad first. And that's okay, right? Because sometimes dad doesn't like surprises. It all depends on the person, maybe. Can I just say, I th- am I a terrible person? Because I realize now, Father's Day being on Sunday, I've got a double date night Saturday. And my kids are actually staying at my parents overnight. Oh. So my dad's waking up with my kids and the next day on Father's Day. So your husband gets to sleep in on Father's Day, but your dad is going to be up early cooking breakfast and playing with Barbies. He loves it, though. To be fair, he does love it. And I'm not going to say what it is here because I have no idea who listens to this podcast in my family, but I got my dad a gift that I don't even know if he's going to like. Really? I have no idea. We're really rolling the dice. My husband seems to think he will. I'll let you know what it is after the fact. 
But this could go either way. Can somebody please remind us on like Sunday us, or Monday yeah. morning? Because we do shit like that all the we'll time. Forget. Like, oh, we'll tell you Monday. And then before you know it, we've done five yeah. podcasts since then. And then we forget. <laughs> uh, have a great day, everybody. Enjoy the, well, wherever you are, enjoy whatever it is. Enjoy, uh, it's a mixed bag all across the province. Enjoy National Bathtub Day and National Cucumber Day. And you do with that whatever the fuck you want. Well, th- thank you for mentioning that. You know, it's <laughs> National Bourbon Day, too. And it's National Strawberry Shortcake Day. Oh, that's fun. So here's how you wrap all the days together. You first off, get right liquored up. You pour yourself a big <laughs> warm glass a, oh, of bourbon. Oh my God. Bourbon is like death in a glass. Have you tried it with ice, though? Let the ice melt a little bit. It's better that way. With a little bit. I don't think I have. I think I've only had a room temp, and I can't do room temp alcohol. Bourbon is not scotch, and scotch is not bourbon. I'm a scotch person, not a bourbon person. Got it. But they're close enough on a sacred occasion like today. It's a lot, though. It's a lot. So you go and get yourself right liquored up on the the (laughs) bourbon. Then you jump in the bath with a cucumber, and then celebrate later with a cake or something like that. That's my idea of a good What, are you, do- what day. are you doing with the cucumber? In the tub? Yeah. Whatever I want to do with the cucumber <laughs> in the tub. <laughs> I stole this cucumber. <laughs> I stole it. <laughs> damn well going to use it. They're not going to want to bet. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Bye.